Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host, and welcome back for episode two, part two of my interview with Nick and Audra Guidry. Yesterday, in part one, we talked about what the business is going to be like once we reopen, kind of talked about all kinds of, it's kind of my HR episode, it was really interesting, and I love the perspective that they gave from being owners of a restaurant who genuinely care about the people that work for them, and I just love that. Please go out and support your locally owned and operated restaurants. And today we're going to talk about what it takes to be the Eater Nashville number one restaurant of the year, what it takes to be a husband and wife team to run that restaurant, and how did they meet? Was this love at first sight? What did they do on their first date? We're going to cover all of that today. So let's welcome back in Nick and Audra Guidry. All right, so welcome back to Nashville Restaurant Radio. This is episode two with Nick and Audra Guidry, the chef and owners of the Pelican and Pig and Slow Hand Coffee and Bake Shop. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for having us. I really am, am curious, and I know that this is out there, but I want this Pelican and Pig was Eater Nashville's number one restaurant of the year last year. You mm-hmm. opened in January of 2019, and this restaurant I was born out of kind of a love story, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> so how did you guys meet? Audra, I want to hear your side of the story. Oh, my goodness. Um, we were both in the food truck world. I was working um, on another truck, and he had just recently opened Slow Hand Coffee as a food truck. That was its first iteration. Um, we just met at a food truck gathering. A couple of weeks into it, we kind of started to get to know each other. Um, and he reached out about buying pastry because that's kind of a, a natural pairing with coffee. Um, so you're, so we, the, you're the baker. Yes, I'm the baker. Um, okay. We just kind of got to talking and... You know, one thing led to another. We started throwing around ideas about how we could marry what we do together. Um, long story short, <laughs> we uh, we sat down in a coffee shop one day right after I'd come on. I think that was my first day, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, started bouncing ideas around, talking about wholesale. And I think within a week, we had 20 wholesale clients. Um, we were wow. yeah, selling pastry desserts on top of doing the, the food truck and it just was a springboard to everything that's happened since quite literally every year since then Slohan has evolved um and and evolved for the better it, it was that meeting of the minds at our friend's coffee shop that day was was kind of a, a loaded meeting that we didn't we didn't know we didn't see, I mean, we, we hoped, but we didn't know what the future held for that. But, you know, we had, we had worked together on a couple of other projects and our, our 
thought processes lined up together. We bounced ideas off of each other really well. Our ideas complemented each other without even meaning to. And it, it just on a business level made a lot, a lot of sense to forge that relationship. And like she said, she, I brought her on board at Slowhand um, with the intention of growing a wholesale business and, and seeing where that went while we still ran the food truck. And like she said, sitting down and plotting it out that day. And then within seven days, servicing 20 new accounts was, I, I, that was something that we couldn't wrap our heads around. And if you had told me that's what was going to happen that day we sat down, I wouldn't have believed you, but it really just shot off like a rocket and, and came out of nowhere, but everything just kept evolving every year. You know, I, I think we did that for a year and then we opened our downtown spot. Yeah. We were working out of a community kitchen, Casa Azafran over on Nolansville. Um, and we were sharing wow. the space with several other small businesses and it got to a point where our product and equipment were just kind of taking over this neutral space. And they sat us down one day and were like, what's your plan here? <laughs> um, there was a space downtown um, on 10th Avenue South behind the Frist that I had worked at in a previous business, actually. Uh, loved the building, knew the foot traffic and the patterns of the neighborhood. Uh, so I took Nick over to see that space one day and he equally loved it. And now, were you guys business partners at this point or were you guys like also like an item? We were just business partners at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so another long story short, I knew the landlord of the space. And I think within 48 hours, we had at least signed keys in hand and were working on our first space. Wow. Yeah. I. When did it change? Everything leads back to a coffee shop, oddly enough. <laughs> we, so we're... I've known the guys at Dose Coffee and Tea for many years now, and that was where we were sitting when we planned the wholesale part of it. <clears throat> and we were sitting in Barista Parlor on the east side um, the day that we decided that meeting that we had at Casa Azafran with, with the leadership of uh, that organization when they said, guys, we need y'all to have a plan. You know, we, we love having you here, but you're clearly growing to a point that you need a next step in place. And I think we went that morning and just sat down at barista parlor, kind of talking about what, what do we do? Where do we go? And like she said, she had just shown me that space and um, she pulled up the, the landlord's name and I, sh I looked him up online, so shot him an email. He responded within a couple hours and literally, I mean, two or three days, we had looked at the space, negotiated the deal, signed the lease, and we were steamrolling ahead. And and everything, nearly everything we've done since then has always come back to sitting in a coffee shop. <laughs> Is that where your first date was? Oh, my God. I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know what our official first date would have been. You know, it just... When you work side by side with somebody for, for so many years and so closely and so intimately on developing businesses and, and hashing ideas out and <clears throat> trying to figure out how to guide these businesses successfully and kind of the future of these businesses. And, and like I said, I mean, year one was the food truck. Year two was the wholesale business. Year three was uh, the, sh the store downtown. And we had that for 
two and a half years before they told us that they were selling the building, um, which is the reason that that Slohan on the east side and Pelican Pig even exist. If they hadn't sold that building, we'd still be downtown and we never would have done this. Or oh, wow. we, we wouldn't have done it so quickly. We always would have done it. We wouldn't have done it so quickly. But um, I think just, you know, we were working side by side 18 hours a day, 14 hours a day, you know, depending on, on what we had going on. And I think there's just a natural progression when you click that well with somebody and you enjoy, enjoy somebody's company that much. Um, and, you know, it doesn't help that they're smoking hot. <laughs> <laughs> That, that can be a. I'm sure that can be a, a thing. Can you when, blush over the radio? When so did I, um, I didn't know that we had a, a f- official first date? It just kind of naturally evolved, I guess. So you just became. Did you guys have like an official conversation? Like, so are we like a boyfriend girlfriend thing? Or I'm did you sure. just like? I mean, <laughs> it definitely evolved to that. There was, you know, we we. It went from a point of business relationship to a point of there's something else here and you know you go through the dating phase before that conversation comes about because you're also trying to be very protective because there's a and and we got asked this question multiple times from whether it was customers on our, our wholesale customers or even you know when we met with the landlord downtown um on 10th avenue the day we went and physically looked at the space and I got to meet him for the first time, one of the first questions he asked me was, are y'all business partners or y'all relationship partners? And that was the first time it was kind of like, Oh, okay. I don't know. What are we? <laughs> well, I mean, at that time, we yeah, over here like, tell me, what are we? <laughs> at that time we were just business partners, but I, I mean, it was, there was definitely something growing there, you know, and and I don't think either one of us had really opened up to each other about that. But that was the first time that I saw that a personal relationship could be a problem for the bit for uh, or seem like a problem to prospective business uh, situations. So, you know, our relationship at that time was developing behind the scenes, but we weren't letting it be seen publicly and not because we were embarrassed by it, but because, you know, we would pick up a new wholesale customer and it would be, so are y'all husband and wife, y'all boyfriend and girlfriend, or y'all business partners? Cause if, if y'all's relationship goes South, what does that mean for my supply? You know, are y'all going to go separate ways? So people were looking at it as your personal relationship could affect this business relationship. So that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, and, and that's kind of what I said when, when our old landlord downtown asked me that question, that's when I first saw that, like, Oh, this is a real, this is a real thought in people's mind. This is a real concern in people's mind. So we kind of trained ourselves for the first couple of years to just keep it quiet. And I don't think outwardly it, I think us not talking about it was the only part that was keeping it quiet because Later, you know, a couple of years later, as we uh, as we announced kind of our personal relationship, <clears throat> several of our, our customers who became friends of ours kind of looked at it like, wait, y'all weren't 
this is news. You know, we always knew this. So, I, I mean, there was clearly something that was visual. You know, it, it, we weren't hiding it well, but it was more of just a protecting the business side before anything else. And then, and then once we saw that, I think people, I think we needed to establish that we were serious as a business before we could let people see us as people. So how did you propose? Oh man. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a great story actually. Um, my 30th birthday, he didn't tell me where we were going. Uh, he made reservations at Catbird Seat. We're all fancy, you know. It's a, it's obviously an enormous meal to have. Um, and I was certain that he wouldn't spend that much money on just a birthday. Thirty uh, is a big deal. <laughs> so I was 30. completely expecting it that night. It didn't happen. Uh, so the next day, I was just kind of being a smart aleck. We had gone to Burger Shack in Nolansville you know, just had burger and fries. And then we went over to the winery, Arrington Vineyards. Arrington Vineyards and Arrington. yeah, I kind of threw out a remark, you know, you hate giving me your last name, something along those lines. <laughs> in his mind, he's thinking, okay, just wait. So we get out there. I've got the ring in my pocket at this point. <laughs> it's freezing. No one's there. Um, and we walked down the hill at the vineyard and he proposed there. Oh, definitely threw me off the night before. <laughs> so you're thinking it's coming the night before. You're already you're like telling you like told your friends. I think tonight's the night, and yeah. then nothing. You're frustrated. I was. <laughs> you had this whole and you. This was a whole plan you had going the whole time, isn't it, Nick? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I also wanted I I think <laughs> I think it was. It was more a, I wanted to separate the two events because turning 30 is a big deal, you know, and she doesn't think so. She thinks it's just another birthday, but you know, that's, not. Not, you didn't turn 22, 30 is a 30, 40. Those are mile markers. And to me, 30 was a big deal and our relationship was a big deal. And, and, you know, I adored her. So I figured let's, let's do something really nice that, that, we've been talking about wanting to do for a while for your 30th birthday. So, you know, I made the reservation at Catbird and uh, I did not have intentions of proposing that night. That was, I wanted to separate the two events. I knew I was going to do it the next day, but I didn't at the time realize that was what was going through her head. <laughs> I thought well, we were just out for a birthday dinner. <laughs> Let's super consider it. And, and if you look back at it, hindsight, it's like the person who has their birthday on February 13th, you right. know, and you go out and you're like, well, we're going to celebrate both today. You're like, no, the day, <laughs> the day you get engaged. I minded having a ring on her birthday. I think she would have liked that as a birthday present, but it, it was also, you know, she's so laid back and our relationship has always been so laid back and so easy that I wanted I almost wanted the proposal to kind of match the energy of us and our relationship and doing it on a fancy night when we're gussied up, you know, yeah, that's, that's the Hollywood romance kind of thing, but that wasn't who we were, you know, yes, we like to go out to eat. We like to, that's really our one hobby, but I, I knew going out to the winery, going out, walking through the vineyards, getting a cheeseburger, you know, that was, one, it was going to kind of throw her for a loop, which I definitely wanted to do because she hates surprises. And <laughs> I told her 
she needs to get used to it because I'll surprise her for the rest of our lives. But um, going out to the winery, I think, was just a little more uh, – it was a little more our speed. And, and so I had never intended to propose that night, but it was definitely going through her mind. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. So who in the relationship is the logical – one plus one will always equal two. It never equals three or four. And this is what we're doing. And then who's the dreamer? The one that's like, oh, we got this. Let's spend it. To be honest with you, I think it's kind of a 50-50 situation. Mm-hmm. We're both that person. Um, we're not ones to just jump off a cliff and hope we land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think there's an absolute balance between the two of us. <clears throat> you know, I think we're both logical, level-headed thinkers. We're not necessarily, I mean, we're impulsive in the way that normal people can be impulsive, but we're not impulsive people. And I think that on a business level, my mind goes to logic before anything else of, you know, I mean, currently we have probably five of the five other restaurant concepts in our back pocket that we'd like to launch one day, but we know now is not the right time, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so I think we're both the dreamers in that we have ideas of, of what we want to do, but I definitely think that having someone complimenting and, and so like-minded to go, okay, we have this idea, but how do we, should we, does it make sense, you know, have those questions be first rather than, oh, let's do it and then figure it all out later. I think that's what's made our personal and business relationship work so well. Yeah. That's that's exactly, I think, what you want. I, I was going to say this before. Maybe it's a terrible timing, but I proposed to my wife. Um, we celebrate our 15-year wedding anniversary in September. I proposed to her 16 years ago at Ruth's Chris. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> at least you're still willing to admit it, though. <laughs> On West End. Well, you know, the, the sous chef is a good friend of mine. My best friend is a waiter there. And I had the whole thing planned out at the restaurant. It had nothing to do with Ruth's Chris. It was just that, you know, I had I had an inside connection. And yeah. we had a nice dinner. But uh, in hindsight, you look back today and I'm like, don't. Oh, <laughs> 16 years ago however Ruth's Chris was a little different back then I think you're yeah. a little yeah. a lot of the restaurants that we have today that I probably would have gone to weren't open then right yeah so, I mean, 16 years ago was a very different place a very different place Ruth's Chris was the nice steakhouse in town right yeah. so anyhow uh, <laughs> how long have you guys been married when did you get married uh, it's actually going to be three years on May 13th do you guys still have like lots of fun stuff? You guys did the business partner thing. What are you doing now? Like, how have you been staying busy during quarantine? PG version. Well, <laughs> uh, we're almost five months pregnant with our first child together, so we're going. Through- oh my god! Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. We're going through that uh, right now, but a lot of people have asked this. I think just because we're so accustomed to being together for long periods of time every day, uh, in and out every day, this is no problem for us. You know, we, this is, this is no different than every other day. Um, we're not being forced into a situation where I'm having all of a sudden to spend all this time with somebody that I'm not used to doing that with. Uh, this is normal. 
we still drive each other crazy in the same way we do every other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so have you revealed whether or not it's a boy or a girl? We don't know yet. Uh, it's going to be about another month. The doctor situation right now is is very interesting. Yeah. He's not allowed to go along to any of the ultrasound appointments or anything. So that's kind of depressing. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, I will tell you another quick story about me that was unsolicited. Um, <laughs> when we found out we were pregnant with our first child, um, who is six and a half now, we have been trying for a really long time, told we couldn't get pregnant. And we went in, my wife took a pregnancy test. We went in and the doctor said, to the first ultrasound, she goes, that's a big baby. <laughs> what does that mean? And she goes, hold on. So she does some measurements on the ultrasound and everything. And I'm, I'm like, I'm holding my wife's hand. I'm looking at her. I'm like, what, what is a big baby? What is it? Is his head big? Like, what does You're that mean? In her mind at this point. Yeah. I'm scared. And she, I said, so how, she goes, how far along do you think you are? And she's like, I really have no idea. I was told I couldn't get pregnant. So I mean, eight. 10 weeks, whatever. And she said, well, you're at 21 weeks. Wow. So we, the day we did our first ultrasound, we found out we we're having a boy. Wow. That's- we were five months when we found out. That's crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine? I knew that. Yeah. I kind of knew the minute we got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I did too. Uh, it's, Going back to what she said earlier, it's kind of a testament to just being with someone <clears throat> so much throughout the day and every single day. You know, I mean, I we know each other very well, and and when something is off or or different about each other, we immediately pick up on it. And I think we both just knew exactly at the same time that something was different, and yeah. and this was a real possibility. Well, this isn't a show about relationships, but <laughs> I always find it incredibly fascinating when a couple, husband and wife, can share a business like this and they can work in sync so well. And I just love hearing stories like this. Slow hand coffee. Um, let's talk about coffee for a second. What? Where did your? Do you have a passion for coffee? When did this start? Uh... <laughs> you had a food truck that was a coffee shop. Yeah. Um... I've, my background is, is kind of in, I wouldn't, not interesting in that everybody wants to hear it way, but interesting in, in, in kind of an unconventional way. You know, I think most people in our positions, um, you know, they, they went to culinary school, they worked in kitchens for 20 years, they da, 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 and, and here they are opening the first place. I kind of went a different route and my, career was really centered around, I always knew I wanted to open my own business. I knew that, that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted a coffee shop. I wanted restaurants. I wanted all these things. But for me, you know, cooking was, was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of second nature to me, not to say I'm the greatest cook in the world, but I, I understood cooking. Um, you know, my younger brother, on the other side, it took him a long time to figure out cooking. You know, it just, it was one of those passions I always had. Food and beverage was always a passion of mine. And so my career was centered more around the business side. And, you know, I knew that cooking was something I could figure out if I didn't know how to do something. I could, I could read a book, I could talk to someone, I could, 
you know, whatever. I, I could figure those things out. I could figure out how to make a sauce and, and practice, practice, practice until I got it down. But the business side was the part that scared me. So my career was centered around gathering as much information and as many experiences as I could that would set me up for success to run a business. Um, through that path, I just somehow discovered coffee. Um, I did not grow up drinking coffee. I did not like coffee. My, my dad tried to get me, you know, let me taste his coffee growing up. I always thought it tasted like dirt or chalk. It just was never my thing. But I, uh, right out of college, I got a job at a sign company. Um, they were a, a national level sign company making signs for some of the larger businesses out there. And, um, it was, it was pretty miserable. It was a, you know, one of those dead end jobs that goes nowhere. There's, there's no upward mobility in the company. Um, everything is just a lateral move and it was just not a place I enjoyed working. Um, not to say it was a bad company. It was just not, it didn't strike, it, it didn't set, uh, what am I trying to say? It didn't hit any notes for me. It didn't fulfill me in, in the ways that I wanted my work to be fulfilled. And, um, I think that's, that's another way that we're very alike in that for, I think both of us to feel successful, I think we both need jobs that do work that means something. And, and whether that's producing pastries or, or cooking something over a fire, it just, when you produce something that, that someone consumes and you get that instant gratification of feedback, it just, it means something to you. There's an emotional connection to that. And, um, this job was not that for me. So I started looking for another job and the only background I even had from college was a little bit of marketing. So I found a marketing job at a, a small coffee roaster in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I was living in Charleston, South Carolina at the time. And I took that job and <laughs> one of the interview questions they asked me was, uh, do you drink coffee? What's your favorite coffee drink? And at that point I didn't drink coffee, but I lied through my teeth and I knew a coffee that my dad drank. And so I told him, Oh, uh, you know, I love to drink Sumatra coffee from Sumatra. That, that's my favorite. Cause that was my dad's favorite. It's the only thing I had to go off of. And I ended up getting that job. So I did that for, Oh man, four years, something like that, five years. I, I, I don't really remember how many years, just a lot of years. And because I worked there, I kind of forced myself to drink the coffee so that I knew the product that I was helping market. And that was kind of where my love of coffee took off. And I took some barista jobs to get the experience in the cafe level. And, um, and then from there, I took a job at a coffee uh, roaster based out of Sacramento and I moved to St. Louis and I was kind of a, a regional rep manager kind of role there. And, um, that was just kind of where coffee came from. I just kind of developed a passion for coffee there, but it was all with the mindset of understanding business and the business side of things. And I also, I, I wanted to stay in hospitality, you know, outside of that job at the sign company and then uh, like a two month job in college at Best Buy. All of my jobs have been in hospitality in some way, shape or form. And that's just a side of the business I always enjoyed. And uh, 
like I said, I, I, I use these opportunities to gain as much knowledge as I could to be able to operate a, a hospitality business successfully. Um, and, and, you know, that's not to say that we have all the knowledge that we need to be successful. We're certainly learning every day, but um, yeah, that, I mean, that's where coffee came from. It just, I, coffee was what I knew. So that's what I started with and, and started the food truck uh, as a coffee shop on wheels of sorts. And so that's your passion for kind of that giving love through food or through coffee you mentioned in this whole thing is that when you create food, people consume it. And that's your way of like instant gratification. Is there some basis behind the bar at Pelican and Pig, like the, the food bar that you have? Because you've got an actual bar bar and yeah. you've got a bar around the kitchen. Is some of that because you can prepare food, put it in front of somebody and have an interaction with them to talk about what's happening in real time? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the way we built this restaurant out was really centered around how we like to dine. And, you know, we've eaten at a lot of places. I mean, our entire two week honeymoon was traveling through California solely centered around eating and drinking. You know, any vacation we have, that that's our hobbies. We we intake food, we check out new venues, bars, restaurants, whatever, just to see what other people are doing, to get inspiration from new places. And so the layout, the the service style, the food, everything at Pelican and Pig was centered around how we like to eat. And I think you're seeing more of it now, but for so long, the kitchen was kind of behind closed doors. And part of why I did this was also to help break the, or at least chip away at the financial barrier of front of house versus back of house. So my in initial intention in building that chef's counter was that the kitchen would be the one serving the chef's counter so that you would get mm. this, higher end, finer dining experience in a, uh, I'll say fine, casual, more comfortable kind of experience where, you know, I always say, um, our restaurant is yours experience, how you wish to, you know, do it with respect and within the confines of, of our culture. But if you want to come in in a coat and tie, great. If you want to come in in shorts and a ball cap, that's fine too. You know, it's, I don't want our place to be the place that you're not sure what fork to use. You're not sure to where to put your hands. That's, that's not the style of what we do. Um, so that was the original intention was so that the kitchen would serve that counter and provide that different level of service that what, that you rarely saw around town. And, and I took a lot of that from Catbird from that, that night before I proposed when we were dining at Catbird, that just really struck me as this is a cool way to dine. You know, the, the people cooking the food are the ones serving it to you and telling you about it. Um, so you know, it for sure. Yeah. So I hoped that that would really take with people and, you know, in doing so in, in having the kitchen serve that counter, it would allow them to receive the tips from that counter. So there was a little bit more of an, ins a financial incentive to back of house. Um, you know, rather than putting them 
putting baby in a corner, so to speak, we put them out in the front and created the stage. You know, the entire restaurant is centered around that kitchen. It's the first thing you see when you come in the door, the dining room is kind of wrapped around it. And that was, that was what we were going for. Um, one of the things that I think we quickly figured out is back of the house. People don't like serving. (laughs) (laughs) They, they, they like the financial aspect of it, but I think generally, you know, personality type. Yeah. We've had some surprising people, you know, in our kitchen that just come alive when, when they get to talk to people. And I think that's really cool. But as a whole, I think, our back of house is just more comfortable doing what they do and talking to the people, but not necessarily serving them. So that sort of naturally progressed to, we're going to put a server in charge of the the counter, but it's, it's definitely still a unique dining experience because if you're sitting at the counter, you get to talk to the kitchen, you get to talk to people. And, um, you know, I, generally I think people are really, really in tune to food and beverage. And we get asked a lot of questions about, so what are you making there? Or, or where did that come from? Where is your, your meat from? And, and uh, you know, not everybody wants to sit up there, but I think those that do are really invested in it. And yeah, I mean, exactly what you said earlier is, is it's that's that mentality is really part of it. It's, it's, providing that nourishment to people and connecting with people on that level. And, you know, I mean, I think my wife and I are both fairly socially awkward, (laughs) you know, as, as most back of house people, I think possibly are, but uh, our love language is, is providing service to people and feeding people and seeing people smile and nod and, you know, getting to see that person take their first bite of food and they immediately start nodding their head. That's a good feeling, you know, to know that, you've created something that somebody enjoys that much really gives us a lot of joy um, and kind of propels us forward. I ate there one night and I sat at the bar and was with a bunch of restaurant people and some food industry people. And what they just had, we just had like an open tab and they said, just order like one of everything. So we, we got to literally sit there and order like one of everything and watch you make all of this stuff. You right in front of us making everything. Yep. And bless your heart, you had a bunch of food people who felt like they're, you know, we want to know everything about what you're doing. You had to go, this is a Brussels sprout. And I'm, you know, and it's like, just let him cook, guys. Just let him cook and we'll just eat it. But then you kind of came, once we got all the food and we were talking about it, you kind of identified some of the things that we've really dug. And then you kind of dug into your bag of tricks and you said, hey, I've been working on this one dish. I'm going to go ahead and make it for you. And I'd love your feedback. So not only did we get to try everything and then give you feedback directly, which I'm sure you love. And if you can see my fingers doing quotes, um, <laughs> people at the bar telling you it's good or bad after a bunch of alcohol. But when you made that dish, I think it was one of the better things that we had of the night, but I could see your creativity going and you wanted us to try this and you wanted honest feedback. It wasn't just a, but I felt like such an insider. I felt it was so much more of an actual experience and it became super memorable, which I think is what we're all shooting for, right? Not just, I'm just giving you food to fill your belly, but I'm creating this experience for you. That's 
differentiates what we do versus what everybody else does. And I just, I totally appreciate that and just loved that experience that was created right there at the chef's bar. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that kind of nails exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's, what are they, there's something in film where they talk about like the fourth wall or the third wall or something like that, where breaking that wall, you're looking directly in the camera, talking to the, the people watching the program, you're, you're tearing down that barrier in between you. And for me, this was exactly what you're saying. It was a way to do that too. And, you know, we didn't open this restaurant for fame. We didn't open this restaurant for media, for press, for, to get famous. We did it because this is what we love. We love just cooking and being creative and, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We we're, we're, creatively playful i think in in the dishes that we create and we cook for ourselves we cook for you and not for other industry people we're not trying to be we're not trying to impress people we're trying to uh we're trying to create something really cool and really good and kind of break down those barriers and those experiences are really kind of why we do this and you know i'll come up with a dish and I'll taste it. I'll, you know, I always go to my wife first, have her taste it. We taste for the things that, that we know to taste for salt, acid, you know, those types of things. I'll let my, my cooks, my sous chef, whoever taste, uh, as well. But sometimes the best feedback comes from the people in front of you because, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> oddly enough, my, my wife's love of him is I think newfound, but I saw an interview of, uh, with John Mayer many years ago. <laughs> Where, I love John Mayer. You know, I'm, as you should. I'm not a super fan of of his music, but I think he is very musically talented, and I think uh, I think his grasp on the knowledge of what you need is is on a whole nother level. So he was doing an interview, and um, it he said something along the lines of you can have the best, what you think is the best idea in the world, but the, the consumer is always smarter than you. And I don't, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean on an education level, but they're going to tell you this idea that you think is amazing might suck. So having, you know, I if I have this elaborate idea for, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this, and we think it's awesome. But if it doesn't sell, is it really that great of an idea? So this is this is a way for us to be able to do exactly that. You know, we might be in service one night and we hit a, a slower pocket, or or we've got somebody sitting at the counter that just seems really invested in in asking questions and they're really in it. And you kind of take that opportunity to say, hey, you know, like you guys, I've got this dish I'm working on. Uh, give this a shot. I'll put it down in front of them. Let me know what you think about it. It's not finished, but I want your thoughts on it. And I actually do. You don't even have to put it in quotes. I do love the feedback because it gives me insight into what people actually think and what people actually want. Um, You know, there's been dishes that I put down in front of people that I thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. You know, it tastes really good. And then I put it down in front of them like it tastes good, but it doesn't make sense. So you know, at that point you kind of take a step back and you either simplify or, or adjust. And for me, that's what it's about. It's, it's, 
not just on a business level, being able to get that feedback and, and make my business more successful or make a dish more successful, but it's creating that bond with somebody of, if you leave here happier than you came in, we've done our jobs right. And if me providing that experience of, Hey, here's a secret little thing that I don't even have on the menu. And I'm not even sure it's ever going to hit the menu, but let me know what you think about it. It, it, creates that level of trust too, of I'm trusting you to taste something that nobody else is potentially going to taste for a while. And I'm going to let you tell me what you think. So it's, it's kind of speaking to our customer base of we're putting that trust in you. Like you're putting your trust in us to sit here and enjoy our food. Uh, let me know what you think. Which it goes back to your, what you were talking about as being a community restaurant where they were in a suit and tie or jeans and a t-shirt we we value the people that come in and dine with us. We're creating. There's no pretentiousness here. It doesn't matter who you are. If you want to come in and have an experience, we're here for you. Audra, what what exactly? So I mean, if chef, we know what he does. <laughs> what do you do on a daily basis? What does your day look like? Oh wait, <laughs> uh, it it kind of depends on the day. So for the most part, um, I have transitioned over to being more of a presence in slow hand. Uh, I'm the executive pastry chef over there, but I also deal with front of house management. Um, that's proved to be an interesting balance. Um, hmm. Yeah, I am solely responsible for the entire pastry program, um, as well as the pastry and bread production at Pelican. Uh, on the weekends, I work, you know, from five or six in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, because I also am the front of house manager for Pelican. Um, so I get to kind of split my duties between uh, production and then front of house management. That's kind of where I started, um, was in the front of house. I was a server, retail. I worked my way up to management. Um, so I do have a background in that. So when it came time to uh, roll out Pelican, he was definitely more the back of house personality and I just kind of naturally transitioned to um, front of house. What's the thing you miss the most about being open every day? Um, honestly, there's never really been any reins on what I'm allowed to do. Uh, we, you know, I can go in with an off the wall idea and if I want to produce that and try to work out an idea or a concept, you know, that's, that's kind of um, up to me. So having the creative freedom to just kind of do whatever I want uh, on a whim or based on what's, you know, inspiring me that day, that's what I miss. But I also miss our people. You know, you spend so much time around these people and, you know, we've, we've got 23 friends that we've come to look forward to seeing every day. Yeah. I can imagine that that's uh, just hearing the the stories on a daily basis coming to work all the different people that just say um you know I, let, let's listen what happened last night i mean just all of the daily getting to know you stuff that you hear i'm sure that that on a regular basis you you got to start missing some of that yeah for sure and i think i think everybody out there does and i think there's a side of this thing getting back open that um there's a glimmer of hope that we'll get back to some level of normalcy, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what normal is going to look like. I know, <clears throat> I know it's going to be weird for a little bit, but I also think, I mean, humans as, as 
by nature are just creatures of habit. You know, I, I think some things are going to change, but I think everybody eventually is going to go back into the, the good parts of their old ruts. You know, they're going to go back to their same places. They're going to go out the same nights of the week. They're going to spend the same amount of money, but I think it's just going to be a little bit more cautious in the approach. But I, I think by nature, we'll, we'll get back to, you know, an, an over under plus 10, 15% of, of what we knew normal was, but with new procedures. Yeah. So, okay. Um, what are you guys, you guys are anticipating, we talked about this on yesterday's show about waiting until kind of phase two, see what goes on. Hopefully we can see what these other kind of the, the rural cities have happened. I'm, I'm, I think this is like must watch TV. Yeah. What's going to happen. I want to hear the stories on all the socials about what happened when servers went to work today and what it was like waiting on tables because I, I don't think literally nobody knows what's going to happen today. So I'm, I'm just, I got popcorn ready. Like I just want to learn everything. I think it all starts today. Yeah. I, I'm curious to see how everything rolls out and, and what, procedures people are taking and you know i think in our place specifically too something this whole thing has and talking to other restaurant people this whole thing has created new lines of thought that we never figured we would have to come up with solutions for we never thought we'd have to think about and you know like us having an open kitchen i i was on a phone call with uh the owners of peninsula the other day and we were talking about kind of the optics of everything and, and, you know, for us having an open kitchen, if we open sooner rather than later, you know, what are the things that, that we need to put in place, not necessarily to be a safer restaurant because those things will be in place, but there's a different level of the perception of being a safer restaurant. And being an open kitchen, you know, I already require my staff to wear gloves. We use proper sanitation. They're all trained on how to wash their hands. They wash their hands properly. But there's a certain level of, of at ease that people go to when you see the people cooking your food or wearing gloves. So, you know, they don't need to uh, because they're proper. They're practicing proper sanitation. They're not touching cooked food with their bare hands, that type of thing but I require it just to put the minds on the other side of the counter at ease. But taking that further, you know, is it something where we need, we would need to have our staff wearing masks, our kitchen staff wearing masks just to make people more comfortable that they're not breathing in the vicinity of their food. And then that opens up another can of worms of if we're in the kitchen supposed to be communicating with, with each other and we have masks on our face what issues does that cause in, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm deaf in one ear. So my hearing is, is 50% to begin with. So I, you know, in a loud kitchen, it's already hard to hear. If I put a mask on someone's face, half of my level of hearing is, is watching mouths and reading lips. If I can't see them, am I going to hear, you know, and, and our staff too, if they're communicating with each other, is there going to be a barrier there wearing these masks? So there's just, there's so many different facets that we have to evaluate on what makes the most sense. And, and operationally, you know, 
do we put masks on our servers? And if we do, is there going to be communication issues there where they're repeating something back to a guest and, and it gets misunderstood because there's a piece of cloth in front of their face? I don't know, but I, all those things kind of take into account. And, and I think that's, that's largely why we we're kind of just watching and waiting through this first phase. That makes complete sense. I think, I think that's, I think a lot of people are going to do the same thing. And uh, I just, I think you guys are amazing. I thank you for taking all the time that you did uh, today to kind of talk about what this labor market's going to look like, what's going on right now, just your vulnerability and honesty to talk about the PPP program and how you feel with your staff. And then to talk about your relationship and all of that stuff. Um, I'm so excited to be able to go back and dine at the Pelican and Pig again when this whole thing is over and when we kind of come back to a new normal. I don't know what that looks like, but I think it will happen. And I feel like everything's going to be better. We're going to learn a lot of lessons that we're going to grow from. And I just thank you both for, for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. And we very much look forward to having everybody back. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so thanks guys so much. And we will, once we get back open, I'd love to have you both come on and kind of tell me and our listeners what it's, what it was like, what some of the challenges you have. We're probably going to do a bunch of episodes about this. Uh, I'd like to get somebody on that can tell me about what it was like today. So thank you guys again and, um, best of luck to you and stay safe and best of luck with your new uh, child. I know this is, that's just, I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Nick and Audra Guidry, thank you so much for joining us today. And I just want to say uh, I apologize to everybody out there for my sound issues. I did a, I, my microphone wasn't working and I didn't know until the thing was over. So I do apologize about that. Thanks for sticking in there. If you do like this podcast, and uh, I hope that you did, I would love it if you would subscribe to it. We're trying to build up a big listener base. Tell your friends about it. If you see this post on the social, share it. Put it in your story. Let other people know about it. Uh, It means a lot to me. I appreciate it. And as always, I hope you guys are all doing well and staying safe. Love you guys. Bye.